excerpt from the Voynich Manuscript, Query 11, page 57, as interpreted by Spooky Maddie and Just Cullen. Oh, mine Father Almighty, I accidentally hath sent thou a picture of mine cock and balls. Prithee, delete it, lest thou desire to look. Aha, I jest, delete it, lest should thee crave. Nay, banish it, lest. <laughs> I'm Spooky Maddie, and this is Anomalous. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Anomalous, where we talk about all things spooky and creepy and weird and mysterious and a little bit fucked. Just a tiny bit fucked. Yeah. We promised some of that this episode. That's true. Yep. May I introduce to the Just Cullen? I am Just Cullen, scholar of the round table of finding out what the fuck this old book means. Nice. And he has done most of our research and script writing this episode. Yeah. Today, we will be talking about the Voynich Manuscript. The Voynich Manuscript is a more than 500-year-old codex consisting of 240 pages of coded text. Despite hundreds of years of interest and extensive research, there is still no known translation. Though the hand-drawn illustrations depict herbs, ceremonies, and astrological diagrams, we have yet to uncover the manuscript's true meaning. So, best case scenario what we have in our hands is some sort of, like, old witch's book that Mm -hmm. has different spells and incantations, potions. (laughs) Yeah. Or... Worst case scenario, we have just some nerd botanist slightly perverted diary. I thought you were going to say worst case is a sick prank. Best case is the magic book. Middle case is a sick prank (laughs) on a nerd who we'll get into later. Worst case is botanist pervert. That's fair. It's just kind of interesting because it's like a whole ass book. Clearly like a codex, some sort of science-y, alchemy book, but in an unknown language that we still are like, what does any of this say? Yeah, and we'll get into like a deeper description of the Voidic Manuscript and all of its spooky pages in a little bit, but the way it came to light is interesting because it was actually hidden away from the eye of the public for quite a while. Mm-hmm. The manuscript originally surfaced in 1960 when it was found in a New York City vault of the Voynich family. So it belonged to Wilfred Voynich, who was a Polish rare book dealer in the early 1900s. Let's uh, let's start <laughs> the great my contra- my main contribution to this episode, which is there's going to be a whole lot of names, mostly of old dead people who uh, had stupid ideas. <laughs> Voynich isn't quite as old as some of the people will go through, but to give all you people who don't care about old people like me some sort of grasp on entertainment in this episode, I went through all of these people's Wikipedia pages and sort of just picked out the first weird or notable thing that I could find. Voynich was an anti-Tsarist back in modern-day Lithuania where he comes from. (laughs) He, like, had the most amazing setup for an adventure life. 
Like, back in the early 1900s, he was trying to free his friends who were also anti-Tsar's, like, revolutionaries. Mm -hmm. He went in and tried to get them out of the prison, but he failed and was captured. And then he was sent to a penal colony in Siberia, which he narrowly escaped and was able to make it to London, where he met up with another contact for the anti-revolutionary network. And then that contact was just sort of hit by a train. And Wilfred said, well, I'll open a bookshop in Soho. First of all, I think the most adventurous life would be being like an antique book dealer in Soho. That's, That's not, kind of... <laughs> I respect the choice, but it's not very cinematic to just take a step it's back not. and be like, whoa, I'm going to open a bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> and yet it is kind of cinematic because he gets his happy ending. Well, at the very least for his friend, it isn't cinematic for the end of a revolutionary's life to just be Sergius, uh, so our next plan to take down the Tsar, well, when we go back to Russia, do you want to get off those tracks? I think I hear a train coming. But when we go back to Russia, we're going to get into the Kremlin, and then it's really getting close, Sergius. <laughs> I, it, like, it's rumbling the tracks, but just please move. The Tsarina is a, you're not moving! <laughs> Very fun. My interpretation is like, Sergius, there's a train coming. Oh, God. Oh, he has AirPods and he can't hear us. Oh Sergius. <laughs> and that's when Wilfred vowed that he would never enjoy music. He would only read so he could hear trains coming. And it built up his passion for rare books. I think it's pretty cool to be a rare book uh, collector. Yeah, but it's not exciting. To you. Okay. To you. I love... I love books. She loves books. <laughs> and that's just one reason people find me just so unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. No. Yeah, so it originally came to light and obviously got its name from the Voynichs. Wilfred Voynich himself, he was highly successful and pretty lucky with finding his unique old tomes. He managed to get his hands on, like, a super rare original transcription of the Bible mm -hmm. from Latin into Italian, like the first one. And he managed to get his hand on Bacon Cipher, which I think is Francis Bacon. He made Was it Francis Bacon? I believe it was Francis Bacon, yes. There's two Bacons in this. <laughs> Would you like my fun oh, okay. fact on Francis Bacon? <laughs> sure. Francis Bacon, very ironically, died of pneumonia while investigating how freezing meat preserves the meat. So he just sort of stood in a fridge watching a steak freeze. And he's like, this is taking a while. And then he croaked. That's rough. Yeah. For Francis Bacon. So Wilfred Voynich purchased the famous manuscript in 1912, claiming he found it buried in a chest in an ancient castle in southern Europe. I'm mad about all of this. Okay. I'm very mad about the, the flagrant use of the word ancient in this entire story. Yeah. you it, Ancient, <laughs> I think... I'm probably wrong about this and someone else is equally mad, but I think it means like prehistory. No. No? No. Definitely not. not the same thing? All I'm, right. We well, refuse to Google it. Perhaps I'm an idiot, <laughs> but regardless, the place he found it was built in like 1550. He actually found the Voynich Manuscript in the Via Montredagon. Right? The Via Montredagon. The Via Mount Dragon. It's fucking sick. It's shit. pretty cool. Oh, fuck yeah. And the, the Mount Dragon was like made in the 1500s, which yeah. I would say is pretty ancient. No, it's not ancient at all. It's 1500s. It's, it's fine. It's normal. It's 
So Voynich was immediately fascinated by the book and believed it was an important and valuable document in cipher. Despite decades of obsessive investigation, Voynich was not able to uncover much about the manuscript's history or its contents. As a result, he was also unable to convince any buyers to pay what he believed what the book was worth. Yeah, well, well as we get into possible authors and stuff, Voynich was running around trying to prove mm-hmm. any number of cool people from old times wrote this, like, indecipherable book. Yeah. He- did not convince anyone of that at any point and still hasn't. He wanted to get a pretty penny yeah. out of the book and he did not. It's like when I take my clothes to like the hip thrift stores to sell them and they're just like, this is... These are month shorts that you've worn many holes in. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out if you wear shorts every day in the month, every month, they'll start to degrade start to fall <laughs> apart yeah fall off of your body like <laughs> yes like you're the um succulent you know. ribs that's fun <laughs> i was gonna say like the depraved from dark souls but i guess nerd okay well old wilfred voynich our friend here died in 1930 and passed the book to his wife ethel voynich and she lived until 1960, at which point the book was discovered in the vault by her friend, Anne Nil. That kind of brings me to my two fun facts about them. First of all, Ethel, she had a little goth phase. Mm. When she returned to London at the age of 10, she came back and she started dressing in like all black and demanded for people to call her Lily. That's fun. It really is fun. Also, she wrote The Gadfly, which I've heard of and I assume you've heard of. Hmm. It's a book. More notably, she wrote the 1945 classic banger, Put Off Thy Shoes. Ooh. <laughs> saucy. That, that is very saucy. Thy, thy shoes? Put them off. <laughs> it's a 1940s foot fetish romance via oh, 1700. God. Oh, God. <laughs> the first by goth foot fetishes. The second Voynich manuscript? Is just a manuscript for suckle on thine toes. Ew! (laughs) (laughs) Terrible. Oh, and the second being Anne Nil was like the companion of Ethel Voynich for the 30 years after her husband died. And they like lived in the same house Mm -hmm. and were inseparable. I couldn't find any relevant information on her, but I just wrote, hopefully gay for Ethel. Definitely gave her Ethel. Mm-hmm. Love that shit. Eat it up. Like, historic letters between, like, historic figures and their quote-unquote friends. That's like, I pine for thy touch. So repressed. Do you think I can't- So gay. Do you think I can't see you adding right now to the notes a secret gay correspondence? And that's what the Voynich manuscript is? Honestly- Genius, we cracked the code. We cracked the code as two gay, hot, steamy lovers writing back and forth in this weird old book. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Ethel Voynich uh, died in 1960, rip. And then, as we said, the book was discovered in the vault by her friend and possible lover, Anne Nil. Attached to the manuscript was a letter from Ethel Voynich demanding that the manuscript not be opened until after her death. Even though, like, no one really knows what it says. So. Yeah. I don't know. Kind of suspicious. Well, maybe she was afraid of what the manuscript might hold. Mm. 
That's fun. Mm-hmm. The book was quickly bought from Neil by Hans P. Krauss, another book collector. Unlike Voynich, he thought he could make a large profit from the manuscript. And also like Voynich, he failed. He really did. He bought it for like 16000 and thought he could flip it for like 160000 Ended up donating it to Yale University and it went into their Beinecke rare manuscript and book collection. Yeah. Still there today with little tours, I guess, to be researched in various research labs. How about we go into a little description of what the manuscript actually looks like and what it might contain? Faux show! So what does the book entail? Why did it cause such a splash? Plop! That's my splash sound. It was a splash. It made a splash. It made a splash and it made a plop. It really did. Mm-hmm. So the manuscript was wrapped in an unmarked brown cover. It has 240 pages, which are very aged. And researchers suggest there were originally 272 pages. So there are clearly pages missing. Who took them out? Oh, my God. It was written in a Renaissance codex style filled with indecipherable text. Text was handwritten in a swirling decorative script, apparently from left to right. There are illustrations on nearly every page, and there are some, like, fold-out pages, which is always fun. It really immediately raises the suspicion that this is some sort of old-timey alchemical playboy. Because what (laughs) else has those big fold-out gates unless you're looking at, like... Literal miles of women's legs. Christ, no. Like <laughs> children pop-up books? That's a different kind of pop-up book. Ew. What the? <laughs> <laughs> the book seems to be divided into various sections. Some people say you can group the ideas into four. Others say it's like six sections. They include info on herbal, astronomical, Balneological, which we looked up, and it's the study of therapeutic bathing and medicinal springs. Also, sections on cosmological and pharmaceutical topics, plus some recipes sprinkled in there. A couple of recipes. I like those recipes that are like, my life was changed when my father died in 9-11, and it's like, Ma's famous beef stroganoff. I don't need... Your sad backstory. Yeah, just give me the sweet, sweet stroganoff. Yeah. Reminds me of the joke from that episode of Norm MacDonald Live. Isis, in its book of bomb recipes, also includes a recipe for a pretty killer peach cobbler. (laughs) That's fun. All right, so we're talking about the sections of the book. There's a lot of, like, illustrations of plants. There's illustrations of zodiac signs as well as star charts for the balneological there's just kind of a lot of illustrations of naked ladies and baths and yeah recipes pharmaceutical honestly quite alchemical but um though it does add to the mystery and is worth noting that not all of these align with modern day knowledge or even knowledge at the time. Yeah, exactly. The herbal section contains drawings of plants. However, most of the plants have not been identified. There are people who think it's like the flower of one plant, which is identifiable, drawn with like the stem of another and the leaves of another. But in total, the illustrations of the plants are not plants we really know about or knew about. 
Also, many of the celestial charts do not align with any known calendars or any known star charts. Also, one of the reasons, other than page numbering, we know we're missing pages, is that they were missing some of the zodiac signs. So what we know from what researchers have found, a radiocarbon dating was done at the U of A. Local down. We just keep on showing up in weird occult bullshit. I kind of like it. I sort of do too. I don't know if it really helps the reputation of the university to uh-uh. be listed on the William Shatner Believe It or Not show. But it is sort of neat to have someone pop up and be like, hey, that's from the university that we went to and hated. That would have been me if I ever became a professor, but I didn't get into grad school. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. Yeah, so the radiocarbon dating was done in 2009. And from what I've seen, they were able to kind of narrow it down from being around 1404 to 1438. Which is really narrow. It is really narrow. And I think that's because they had so many samples and all of the pages seem to have come from that time period. Yeah, the radiocarbon dating was consistent for all of the samples tested. So it seems like at least all of the pages themselves, not necessarily the writing, not necessarily the illustrations, all the pages. You're in the fucking weeds with us on this one. (laughs) The pages were all from the same time, but the ink... Oh, oh, no. (laughs) We have yet to see. Yeah, so the parchment in this case was vellum, which was made from calfskin. The numerals were also consistent with the 1400s, but those were only for the queries, which were like the big chapters and sections. However, the pages themselves have numerals that seem to come from a different date. So may have been added later for each specific page. Based off of the carbon dating, the style of illustrations and the format of the Natural Philosophy Codex, it is strongly believed or theorized that this manuscript was composed in Italy during the Italian Renaissance. However, there are some researchers and theorists that kind of go against this. So even though all of those old-timey drawings look like the same Tadalo drew them to me. Apparently there were distinct styles of illustration at the time. And this type of like natural philosophy, meaning basically just like natural sciences book or, or look up or diary was pretty popular at the beginning of the Renaissance. And interestingly, the book may have actually been written a little bit further into the Renaissance. As Spooky Maddie well knows, sometimes you just buy a shitload of notebooks because they're (laughs) cute and you never get around to really putting anything in them. Yeah, they're going to be confused with my notebooks. They're like, this was bought in 2011, but the ink says from 2130? (laughs) Oh my god! (laughs) Going off of that, the original drawing ink and writing ink seems to have come from the same time period as the parchment. It was found that the ink was placed using a quill and was iron gall ink, which was like pretty common in the early 1400s. For ink, it was common. Yeah, all in all, the total like parchment, ink. Knowledge of how to read and write. Yeah, that was pretty rare, pretty expensive at the time. It is widely believed that the colored paint was added separately and possibly like much later. Interesting. Yeah, so there's evidence of retouching in the illustrations and writing. And the text is obviously in an unknown, possibly coded or, you know, possibly meaningless uh, language. And there's no clear punctuation. 
So to give more of a visual outline, and we like strongly suggest you look up these pages because they're cool as shit. Mm-hmm. But basically, it's just these big blocks of swirly, almost <laughs> cursive handwriting laid out in neat rows with very straight margins. Almost all of the pages have illustrations. Sometimes the text flows to the left or right of those illustrations. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's fold outs. It's all like those old weird faces where they kind of look like cartoons, <laughs> but they seem to have genuinely thought that was the best they could like yep. draw someone back then. It is almost a grimoire vibe to it with the unrecognizable alphabet. Yeah. There are some writing in the book that appears to be in a Latin script, as well as a single German phrase. However, this writing seems to be like extraneous, kind of just like a added note to self, not really a part of the content. It's weird how often these show up in like old manuscripts like this. They seem like they're just doodles, just little drawings of women or like, I think there were some animals they drew yeah. and they wrote a couple phrases in Latin and German. <laughs> seems like you wouldn't tack that on to like the magnum opus of cipher that you have been writing, but you know, no, we all get bored. We all get a little bit bored. Yeah. So the very first mention of the manuscript was in the 1600s. So there was a letter found in the cover of the manuscript written in either 1665 or 1666. However, there's not like an exact naming of the manuscript in this letter, but it's pretty clear. And especially since like the manuscript, Didn't really have a name (laughs) because it was mysterious. So, Gorg. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) hey, everybody. So, um, Gorg? (laughs) I think it's Yorg. Yorg. It's G E. It's George without the last E. (laughs) So, deal with that what you will. All right. So, Gorg Barish, who was a 1600s antiquer, wrote to. Athanasius Kircher, and Kircher was a man who thought he had translated the hieroglyphics, asking him to translate the manuscript. So, Gorg sent it to Kircher, and he was like, can you translate this? These are both scholars at the time, because Kircher said that he had made translations in the past. (laughs) We'll talk about that in one minute. Kircher didn't seem to get anywhere or was lost, and then he was like, can I buy that book? York said no, but then he croaked and his friend Marcy just passed it on because I guess, fuck it. But we've said a lot of proper names here, so let's get into some wild ass shit. First of all, York, Gorg, (laughs) first of all, Gorg was an antiquer in the 1600s. That's just a collector. You, oh my God. You just collect stuff. You're so mad. It, It is, I'm burying the lead here because Kircher is a wild, Motherfucker. He's been coming back up in scholarly stuff because apparently he had a couple good ideas. I'm going to run you through his not so good ideas, of which there are seemingly many, many more. He said that he translated the hieroglyphs. Yeah. Um, he did not. Sure. No, I, I not, I knew that. It was quite a while before he pulled that one up. (laughs) He thought that each of the symbols was like a complex idea instead of a single object or like verb or something so with that idea he translated them so completely or horrifically wrong let me give you a little example of what we now know it to be translated as and my best attempt to read his translation (laughs) he tried to translate 
two symbols that we now know mean Osiris says. Sure, that two makes symbols, sense to me, yeah. Two words, a verb, and a noun. Mm-hmm. He translated that into the treachery of Typhoon ends at the throne of Isis. The moisture of nature is guarded by the vigilance of Anubis. <laughs> Terrible failure. Not very good at all. But you have to remember, Kircher, he was the last great Renaissance man. Mm. All of knowledge was his realm. So you want me to run you through a couple of other ideas? Yeah. He pretty racistly thought that Chinese characters were a devolvement of hieroglyphs. He thought both cultures were, like, touched by God to be given this language. He thought Chinese is, like, hieroglyphs, but it's only single ideas instead of, like, these big, complex, mixed ideas. And then he was, like, also on the other side of the globe, Mayan and Aztec writings are even further devolved where they only refer to objects, not ideas, and not complex ideas. What a bitch. Complete nonsense. Complete nonsense, a bitch. I understand why Gorg was like, give me my book back. Give me my freaking book. You're not going to take it, Kircher. <laughs> what does he think words are? I don't know. He's, I don't know. I <laughs> I, I don't get any of it. He, he accused many people, including Confucius, of being Moses. What? Doesn't really make any sense at all. (laughs) Here, you want to read this one? This one's pretty off the fucking rails. He interpreted mountain ranges as Earth's skeletal structures exposed by weathering. That's fun. It's fun as fuck. But it's It's not smart. It's not smart. No, it's not smart at all. (laughs) But it's fun. It is fun. Um, And his last one... By the way, I'm skipping over Marcy, who gives a fucking shit. (laughs) Uh, Kircher's last one, he designed the... Katzen clavier, <laughs> which is a cat piano, <gasps> where he thought he could poke the tails of cats with spikes oh. and force them to meow at specific pitches. Oh my god. Uh-huh. Genius. Genius. <laughs> Here is our interpretation of Katzen clanger. <laughs> you only got a little one today. Yeah. Oh, back to sleep. Yeah, if you squeeze our cat, he'll meow. <laughs> so we don't squeeze him that hard. We don't squeeze him that hard. You just give him a little hug, and he goes, oh. Yeah. Cute. So Kircher was wild. Somehow he ended up with the possession of the book. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, he didn't manage to translate it. Nope. So Kircher ended up with the book. I guess he lost it in some ancient castle, which was actually the Via Monte Dragon incompetence all the way down the line honestly um so now we can get into some theories who wrote it what does it say and in what language hoax (laughs) the language of hoax (laughs) so the letters that were sent between bearish and kircher speculated that it could have been written by roger bacon fun fact about roger bacon not the same as Francis Bacon. Yeah. We had to learn that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. That's literally the only fun fact I have for him. Uh, and that's most likely debunked, though. Yeah, I noticed, did you spell that wrong on purpose? Because you had it debunked, and then I like put it in <laughs> hyphens because you hate debunkers. Yeah, most likely debunked. Yeah, I think Roger Bacon was dead in like 1292. <laughs> yeah. Going through his Wikipedia looking for a fun fact besides the fact that He's not Francis Bacon. A lot of stuff got claimed to have happened after he died, which is, I guess, kind of cool. kind of cool. If they could, like, attribute cool stuff to me after I died and I didn't have to do the work for it. Sick. Sick. 
Voynich totally believed it was Roger Bacon, probably because he could have gotten the money he so wished for he if it was it like be a big name, a lost bacon text. Voynich basically just found like a half-eaten Subway sandwich in a trash can in Hollywood and was like hoping it came out of the mouth of the beautiful Jason Siegel. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. I bet he eats that Subway. Mm-hmm. This is an anti-Jason Seagal roast pod. <laughs> it's a, I think it's Seagal. This is an anti-grandma uh, pod. No. How dare. It's historically been so. Christ. And we're ripping on old people yet again. Yeah, you are. You oh, yeah. Specific- okay. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Are you, are you defending the cats in Clavier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they used to make the Malmix commercial. Oh my god. Call the police. <laughs> call Peter. Call oh, don't call Peter. Call the humane society. And then just one silence. <gasps> <laughs> so yeah, if it was a Renaissance text, could have been bacon, except not. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, not. it was not bacon. But Voynich had other ideas. Could have been Albertus Magnus. Albertus Magnus. What would you like a fun fact on Albertus Magnus? Because there's absolutely nothing to support that he could have been tied to this in any way. Okay. He was just generally a philosopher and became popular with the Catholic Church. And they had a weird thing, slash maybe still do, where they're like, people who are especially holy and special just... Their bodies just stay the same forever. They never decay. Mm -hmm. So they checked on him like three years later and reported back that he was like all good. Like after he died, they checked and he was like, oh, he's perfect. That's amazing. And probably pumped up off of the report from that first experience, which is definitely made by some sort of gravedigger that has a very liberal interpretation of what's looking fine. (laughs) They were like. See, this phenomenon totally happens. They checked on him a few later, and he was just a legit skeleton. <laughs> Rip. Rip. He must have fucked some shit up in heaven. Like God was doing the mom thing, where he was like, stop playing in the house, you're going to knock over my... And he's like, <laughs> Albertus, I'm going to turn your body into a skeleton. He's like, no. Why, why, why sainthood? Like, no, you're all bleached bones now, Albertus. Yeah, I grew up Catholic going to Sunday school. A big source of my trauma. <laughs> and we talked about that. It's pretty It's pretty wild. Pretty fun to think about. Like, they yeah. have saints just on display, like, not decaying. I think the, the only way that that is acceptable is if they, like, automatize them a little bit. Where they're, like, moving and saying, Hello! Welcome to the church! Hello! Welcome to the church! Hello! And they just do that That as people walk in and out. Terrifying. Ah, if you put a fun enough voice on it. Or they can use him as, like, for Easter Sunday, just use the body and be like, and he risen, and, like, put him on strings, and he, like, flies up. Oh, that's fun. like a dead saint. Oh, that's really good. So it could have been Albertus, but there's really no evidence for that at all. It's just another of Voynich being like, here's a semi-known name. Buy my book now. Yeah. Another person it could have been is Giovanni Fontana. It is speculated he possibly could have authored it due to the similarity between his illustrations and the manuscript's illustrations. And he even liked to use ciphers in his works, though they were much simpler than the Voynich cipher. Yeah, a lot of ciphers at the time. We'll get into, like, coding and cipher possibilities in a bit. Couldn't he have been the illustrator, but not the writer? Yeah, it's possible. Oh, gosh. Double the mystery. Yeah. 
All right. You got a fact? <laughs> you got a fact about Giovanni? Yes, I do have a fact about Giovanni. He was also kind of a Renaissance man. Basically, all these people are just rich dudes that don't actually have to work for a living. So yeah. they become what today would be like kind of low quality hobbyists and all this stuff <laughs> they do. But Giovanni was actually kind of a respected engineer, which I guess in the past meant an inventor <laughs> who built fun stuff like automaton. That's and Wikipedia makes a fun excerpt where it's like, all the engineers in the past wouldn't really make blueprints. They just sort of make the thing to show yeah. it off because people could see how cool it was. And also they wouldn't have blueprints to like reveal their methods. Mm -hmm. But, and I quote from Wikipedia, Fontana, however, makes a superb exception to this rule. He drew not only male and female devils inspiring terror <laughs> in real time by their fearsome appendages. Oh, but he also drew the underlying mechanisms. Wow. Why is he making these things? Why not? And why wasn't he doing it to the saints like we were just talking about? True. Yeah. He yeah. wakes up and chooses violence every day. Every day. <laughs> That's fun. He could have been the author of the manuscript. He could have been. He, he seems quirky enough. <laughs> it really is legit as simple as like that kind of looks like a drawing i saw another time who made that drawing that was, he was the author that's fair it doesn't i mean it's not exactly evidence but no. it could be fun yeah another option for people who came up as a possible author is jacobus synapius this is confusing voynich saw a name that kind of looked like jacobus but then a different last name but then he thought that that last name was a latin reference to something else that turned into that like other jacobus which is confusing and then later on they they noticed that yes you could see jacobus's name but oh, like looking into the ink of it it looks like maybe voynich added it later to get a author on there so he could sell it yeah, I have seen that. So they saw the name, um, in case it wasn't clear, like a signature on the manuscript. It's not exactly his signature even. It's like a reference to the person whose signature it might have been. And then that signature didn't match up. So Voynich might have added it or someone else might have. Yeah. It's a mess. And it obviously, even if it was a legit signature from someone, could have been a past owner. Totally. There's really, yeah, no good evidence from this quote-unquote signature that leads to a clear author. I mean, the collection of Pokemon cards that I got from my neighbor when I was a kid had her name written across <laughs> the top of every single one, which is a large effort for yeah, a child to go through. Really is. And I couldn't bring them to school because there was another girl with the same name. So they kept on <gasps> trying to give them back to her. It's like, no, those are my... It was a goddamn mess and I'm mad about it. <laughs> it could have been Jenobis was just marking his goddamn Pokemon cards. Honestly. Ugh. Jenobis. Jacobus. Jacobus? Jacobus? <laughs> Stupid. I don't know. Here's my fun fact for Jacobus. <laughs> he was working as like a philosopher, possibly as a professor at a university in Prague. And, mm. um, quote, there or at his garden, he distilled a very popular agua synapis, which in Latin basically means mustard water. Ew. It made him very wealthy. Ew. What the fuck was the past? He's just what? selling mustard water by the cup like a lemonade stand? The past was such bullshit. Mustard water is the... Fuck you, Jacobus. 
<laughs> Maybe there's something to it. We can't write it off that no. quickly. No, of course we write it off. That's <laughs> terrible. So another possible author uh, could have been Raphael Manishkovsky, who could have wrote the text. <laughs> that look. <laughs> who could have wrote it to test out a new cipher. And to quote uh, Wikipedia, Raphael invented a cipher, which he claimed was uncrackable. Which... And then a big old circa 1618. Yeah. Thanks for the shade, Wikipedia. Well, do you have a, a fact about Minshkakovsky? Oh, oh, sorry, what? I was just having a sip of my hot mustard water. Ew. Uh, just say the fact. <laughs> Go ahead and read what I wrote under Minshkakovsky under my notes. All right. It just says he's taking a sip of his mustard water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sure does. Okay. Some other theories, not a specific person name, but if it was written in the Italian Renaissance, it could have been written by an alchemist uh, in code at the time. And the code would be to prevent like competing alchemists from knowing their info. Could have been written by a doctor in some kind of shorthand, like, you know, those doctors on their terrible handwriting. Though it seems to me in that case, when you write shorthand for something, there are still partials of words in there. That's fair. Could have been written by a, a woman at the time, trying to, like, keep it on the DL, since the women DL. weren't allowed to do science. And here is our uh, final Renaissancean theory that does not match up timeline-wise, but is fun. Who wrote the Voynich Manuscript? Voynich? Da, da Vinci? <laughs> Could it have been Da Vinci? No. Definitely not. But a fantastic meme. Mwah. Da Vinci was born too late, though. So, no, he did not write that, probably. Probably. So now some theories like, what could it say? Doesn't matter who wrote it, but there have been a lot of researchers trying to crack the code, obviously, because it's fun. That is one of the first interesting questions. The first and biggest theory is that it is, in fact, a cipher or possibly a code. A mm -hmm. cipher being there's an original message and it's either hidden by switching out letters based on like a one-to-one -one alphabet or switched out by changing certain words into different letters, or switched out by any number of other like combination of those things, or code, which would mean that it has a direct one-to-one. -one. There's like a code book yeah. and you cross-reference. That would be stupid hard to do with a text this long. So most people seem to think it's a cipher, and there's been literally hundreds of years of people all the way up until modern day trying to crack mm -hmm. what cipher it could be. Ciphers are like rules made to be broken. <laughs> That's the sexiest approach you could take to the very boring art of ciphering. Uh, <laughs> I am definitely want to believe it is a cipher. I mean, it would be fun. Seems unlikely that it's just like a legit language that people use that just no one knows about. <laughs> That's another option is that it is a natural language. Some people think that it could be an Eastern Asian language that someone had invented an alphabet for mm. and then wrote it just plain text in that alphabet. Yeah, let's get into it. So the text is clearly not a simple cipher. It's not any known language. 
It would have been nice. <laughs> we could have discovered its alchemical secrets. That would have been Gaheem. Then we could have discovered what is definitely a recipe for Viagra too. Nice. <laughs> World peace. <laughs> um, the cipher could have been made more complex through any number of obscuring techniques. The reason a lot of people don't think it's a direct cipher for any known language, and especially European languages, is because the frequency of words showing up and letters doesn't make sense for a real language or a cipher of a real language. Because it has passages where it's like R, or, or, R, or, or in a row. And ciphering back to direct letters, that can't really mean anything. And ciphering back to even words, just having words in a row like that doesn't really mean anything. Why haven't people just given up, right? You know? It's fun. People are nerds. And Viagra too, or any other world piece. I would just like be like, okay, this is obviously some person's personal secret code that is unbreakable. I'm going to break the cipher on your diary, whether you try to no! stop me with this little shaming, with this little public it is shaming. unbreakable. Just give up. So famous code breaker who broke the Japanese codes in World War II, William Friedman, said that it was likely a constructed language or an a priori language, just kind of made up. <laughs> Could also be a real language written in plain text with an invented alphabet, which Cullen said could have been a uh, East Asian language, possibly. Computer analysis hasn't gotten anywhere yet either. You will see it's kind of like Jack the Ripper, like every three months. They're like, we cracked it, but no, no, <laughs> not really. Not at all. Uh, it's still hotly debated whether the text fits a natural language, meaning either in plain text or kind of cipher or code or just nonsense. A lot of people think that it could be some proto-romance language, so like pre-Italian, as well as some researchers think it could have been based off of Hebrew or, Hebrew. or a proto-Italian language or based off of the little... Um, side notes, something based off of Latin or German. Could it have been your theory from before, a female alchemist trying to hide her work by writing in Shebrew? Alright, he won't let it go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will not drop Shebrew. It's brave. Oh, okay. So, hold on and prepare to be upset because there's a solid contingent of the research community that believes the manuscript's text is completely meaningless, which... I know it's not fun, but like, on question, it's possible. That leads to a couple of different suggestions. It could be nonsense text, but also still a cipher. Like what we mentioned earlier, Francis Bacon's cipher is actually meaningless text, but the way it's formatted implies a meaning. Like you could use different typefaces or something like that. Or it could be a case of glossolalia, which shows up in other undecipherable texts. Yeah, so glossolalia is a semi-nonsense text written essentially in tongues. So apparent examples of this writing have often appeared with people in states of altered consciousness when channeling or by outsider artists. Right, so it could either be a channeling mystic or possibly someone in an altered mental state, whether that's channeling, if you consider it that, or in an episode of some kind where they start to not quite auto-write, but write just stream of consciousness in tongues sort of nonsense. There's one outside artist who made these really large thrones and religious pieces, and he wrote an entire scripture of some sort. His name was James Hampton, and when they looked into 
that scripture that he was writing, it was found that statistically it didn't meet any like sort of form of language in the distribution of words and different sounds. So it seems to have been just a sort of writing in tongues. Yeah, and James Hampton's work is called The Throne of the Third Heaven of the Nation's Millennium General Assembly, in case you want to look into it. So other theories of who wrote it kind of going into, like, maybe it's meaningless. It could have been a hoax, particularly a hoax dunking on Kircher, who was asked to translate the work. He had before been sent by someone a work and he was asked to translate it, but the work was a hoax and meaningless. And Kircher said he figured out what the work meant, but obviously he didn't because it was meaningless. And that's just kind of like a sick burn. So- really is fun to just give him total trash. And Kircher's like, oh yeah, no, this is totally clear. It's a recipe for a carrot cake. It's like, well... Is it though? Yeah, and another possible hoax. It could have been written by Voynich himself just to get some cash since he really wanted to get like a lot of money from selling the book. So some evidence that kind of supports this hoax theory is researchers believe that the text is too uniform and too repetitive to be an actual language. As Colin stated earlier, there are many repeating patterns of letters and words that wouldn't really make sense. So it could have been written by a variety of people, either as a money-making scheme or just a kind of as a, a joke. Voynich, as a rare book collector, and presumably many people in the existence of these materials, would have had the knowledge to fake a early Renaissance codex of this kind and fill it with period correct nonsense. The main thing, of course, arguing against it being like, you're Voynich in 1912 and you just stumble across a pristine unwritten on collection of like, they said it was the paper inside the vellum was the equivalent of like a dozen calfskins or something like that. So he finds that and a bottle of ultra vintage ink. And he's like, hmm, perhaps a Francis Bacon work I create instead of just selling those things on to museums. Pretty long way to go for a joke or just like a failed business venture. Fun idea though, good heist. What? It's kind of a heist in a way. How's it a heist? (laughs) You know, it's like, what if instead of the guy who could do flips and stuff in Ocean's Eleven, he was just like really good at writing 1400s manuscripts that's not a heist it's a heist in a way no it's not we'll agree to disagree on okay very good so other theories that i thought of highlighter maddie's theory sections highlighter hear me out not of this world out of this world out of this world. The reason that it is indecipherable and the illustrations don't match with any known things on Earth is because it's from not of Earth. Could have been aliens came down and gave this knowledge to someone, to the chosen one, and they wrote down this extraterrestrial knowledge but it was in their alien language. You know, when you look at the text, it kind of does have that alien vibe to it. It's consistent nonsense, but in this like fancy, interesting script, it does seem quite alien. Yeah. Could have been a time traveler from the future or 
prehistory. Do you think the recipe section is full of like, this is how Wi-Fi is made? And we got there actually through Eisenhower making that deal with the aliens to get Wi-Fi, etc. But it was also in this book back in the 1400s. Yes, I think if this information came from an otherworldly source, then I'm sure it contains some baller info that would really help humanity. Do you think that there's a recipe in the like technology sections for an iPhone that doesn't jump from 5% to 1% in oh the span of like two minutes? I'm sorry, what, what is your phone at? Last night you're like, I'm scared my phone's gonna die. I stayed up late doing the notes. Yeah, in the six hours of and sleep. And I forgot like, to plug my phone in. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a recipe for disaster. That's fun. It's magic, perhaps. Alchemy, but the magical side of it, perhaps. It could have been, yeah, any number of alchemists or spiritualists, possibly. But magic. Channeling another side or, like, looking into the magical beyond. Yeah. Or just an outside artist that wrote nonsense in a delirium. No, we're not talking. No. Huh? What? No. Oh, okay. Okay. Universe hoppers. Person from Earth, but from Earth at a different but parallel universe, got dropped off. They're like, this is ghetto. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you guys don't have 5G yet? This is actually pretty lame. Yeah. Or like, it's so similar. It's such a similar Earth, but it's just slightly different. Just slightly different plants, slightly different star placements. Mm, Like a Da Vinci and just a slightly different universe with a different writing system similar but not quite the same plant similar stars but not quite the same he painted the mona lisa as i've learned and then wrote the voynich manuscript and it got like disappeared through universe space time into our timeline yes so in the other universe it's da vinci and he wrote the voynich manuscript and he painted the mona lisa with a smile because that's a mandela effect is it do you think Mona Lisa has a smile? She has a wry, like, little... She has a little uptick in her mouth, but it's not quite a smile, I think. Well, a lot of people think that it's a smile, and it's not! In the other one, did he also paint the Mona Lisa with the same bedroom eyes as we have in this universe? What the fuck? She's got fuck-me eyes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you gonna put her on your list? Yes. Your hall pass list? Yeah, considering that my list right now consists of the Duolingo owl... And what else did you put on my list for me? Some dead old man. Yeah, a dead old man in the Duolingo owl. I'll throw a dead old, possibly fictional woman on there too. Possibly. Okay. Wait, possibly a man. Is an animated owl, so it doesn't matter. Now, if you want to talk about fuck me eyes, the Duolingo owl. Hey! (laughs) I don't go talking about my extensive list. Don't say anything. (laughs) Um. I think aliens make sense because, you know, it, it seems like... That's just a general statement. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like in the past, maybe some aliens would come visit Earth. Not the pyramids, though. Just because white people couldn't do it doesn't mean mm-hmm. it was aliens. But also, could the Voynich manuscript be aliens? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it could be. The Voynich manuscript continues to be a annoying... Though fascinating enigma. We would suggest you like look at it, enjoy it, wonder about cool cipher stuff if you're into old spies, and especially if you're into old medieval manuscripts and alchemy and that sort of stuff. 
But maybe try not to get too deep into the weeds about the theories because it gets a little rough. It could have been aliens. It could have been alternate universe, which is basically kind of like aliens, but also sort of us. It could have been any number of weird old men with strange parts in their lives. Mm-hmm. Could have been us. <gasps> yeah, it's just, um, you know, uh, an enigma. Enigma balls. What? An enigma. It's like a, a to me the boy Nick made no, me wait, no, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what did you say there? Enigma balls. Enig- How do you enigma balls? Um, it's similar to, uh, oh, have you heard of ligma? No, no, but that's very different from enigma balls. Like you're staring into balls and you're trying to figure out where the German U-boats are. <laughs> what? That's what the enigma was. You've derailed this entire episode. <laughs> um, you have a whole page full of facts that are completely unrelated. Kircher is worth talking about. And if I have my way, we're going to have a whole episode about him. No, you're not going to have your way. He thinks that the earth is a big thing and mountains are its bones. You could start your own podcast, Kircher Hour. Oh my god. Start it with the ghost of Kircher through a Ouija board. No. We're so off the rails right now, <laughs> it's fucking insane. So that was the Voynich Manuscript. I'm gonna say, this is rare for me as being a debunker, but just have fun with it. Look at it, come up with cool theories. Maybe it was Da Vinci, doesn't really make sense, but who cares? Maybe it was an alternate universe, Da Vinci. That's one of my favorites. That's cool. I basically think it was just an alchemist back in olden times, probably from where the scientists seemed to think it was from. And he just was writing it as a personal book to keep track of his studies or her studies. Or it could have even been nonsense at the time or a really deep cipher. I mean, obviously, I would love for it to be a cipher that we crack eventually and have like all these cool... uh alchemical recipes that I could try out in the kitchen, but I'm not really holding out hope for that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's aliens. That That's even more fun than it being a spell book. I think it's aliens and it's extraterrestrial knowledge and it's probably impossible to decipher unless there's like another alien who's a decipher alien. Maybe in the deal that the Greys did with Eisenhower... They gave us the key to the Voynich Manuscript and the NSA is like decoded it. Damn, but they just hold the knowledge. They hold the knowledge. Well, I think that if it is from aliens, probably has some baller knowledge to know. It would be really sick. And what if it's like a mixture of a couple of your theories where it's like Da Vinci Gray? That's fun. He's just a little robe. Oh, his little robe. He's already got the big old gray head, but then the puffy hat with the feather on top to add on. Extremely cute. That's very cute with the robe that's too big. And then at that point, why not just be like, it's an alien grimoire. Ooh. It's a magic aliens book. Damn. I feel like we've switched roles in this outro. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, there is the famous Voynich manuscript. Go look at it. It's radical. Uh, it's you'll have positively medieval. It really is. Or alien. Hmm. Believe in, I guess, believe in little gray Da Vinci, believe in yourself. Believe in other universe Da Vinci and believe in yourself. Goodbye. See you in two weeks.
Adios, bitch.